the Hollywell Trust podcast testimony series, sharing experiences of those affected by the Northern Ireland conflict and those people who have taken the decision to take positive steps for the future. Now here is your host, Eamon Becker. Hello there and welcome. My name is Eamon Baker and our interviewee today is Sean O'Donnell. Sean works with Extern. Sean talks about growing up in Strathfoyle, going to school, what it was like being a young person in Strathfoyle. Thank you very much, Sean, for agreeing to do this interview. This podcast is funded by the Central Good Relations Fund, the Reconciliation Fund of the Department of Foreign Affairs, and co-funded by the Derry City and Strabane District Council and the Community Relations Council. You, you said just a wee moment ago that you were 10 mm-hmm. when the Good Friday Agreement was signed and I guess at 10 years of age you might not have been too aware of what's a Good Friday Agreement or the uh, GFA. I mean, you're probably thinking, I'm when's the next football match? Or That's something I don't really know too much about it. You know, it was more news articles and things they got for us. It was more sort of, I think our, our parents was living through it more than we were, we were as kids. Especially being out in Strathfoyle, I think we were protected almost you know, from a lot of the stuff that was going on because we had the benefit of not being too close to the city where most of the stuff was taking place. Ten, I was pretty much interested in playing commandos around the old Yankee wires and stuff. We got the American Army base. Me and my mates would have done. We would have headed off on a Saturday morning at 8 o'clock in the morning and parents coming looking for you at 6 o'clock in the evening trying to get you in for your dinner and you still going strongly. I remember the presence of the soldiers. In around Strathfoyle. Uh, and the police and stuff they got. I remember that. The Saracens the old jeeps, the soldiers hanging out at the top of the jeeps. I remember that. It was short love because I would only seen a couple of years that. I remember skirmishes and riots and... and in around Strathfoyle? Uh, different, different things, but it was strange because what I had heard from riots and all before, it was it, it, it came from either one area or the other, but in Strathfoyle was a mixed area where we had Catholics and Protestants, not only Catholics and Protestants, we also had travellers and different members of the community and other ethnic backgrounds in Strathfoyle too, so it's bad to look back on it now, but for me it was a crazy time in, in my life when I was just decided that there was a house was set on fire, a young boy, he must have been, I think he was eight or nine, you know, lighting fires and caught on to this house. Is this when you were when I was nine or ten? About, I was nine or ten, I, uh, So somebody know, you knew? Somebody I knew, a younger yeah. boy, lighting fires, as we did, no, we'd, we normally would have done it down around the fields and things like that or whatever, away from the housing estate, no, to escape. This young boy lit a fire in the housing estate and the fire caught on, or the house caught on fire, but there was nobody in the house, it was a disused house that was left lying for, for months by landlord, but the young boy then got arrested and he was put in the back of the police car and an hour, young fella came up and opened the back door of the police car and let him out. So he got out and he ran down the street and his brother's house. Brother tried to take the handcuffs off, whatever, and the police landed heavy handed at the door. And the brother went out and he was older, he, he, but, but I'd say he would have been about 22 at the time maybe. He went out and he closed the door behind him because uh, his younger brother was significantly younger now, he's nine, eight, nine, ten. And he's handcuffed in the back of the, uh, in the kitchen. So the brother went out and he says, look, he's too young, you're not taking him, that's it. Handcuffing a child? Well, I don't know, maybe they didn't know his age at the time or whatever. So they uh, took the brother instead, uh, brought him down to Mayday, and he landed back a couple of hours later, badly battered, you know, his rubs and things again. So I remember that being my first hand experience of, of actually witnessing 
what it sort of looked like you know, for, for young people and, and especially the retaliation towards the police at the time. You know, it was, at that stage it was, it was rife. No, nobody had liked the police, but I, I thought that it always was from like a nationalist Republican perspective uh, against that hatred towards the police. But that night when the, the fellow got out, there had been a lot of movement around Strap, people running about everywhere, a lot of people outside their house sort of up in arms, what, how could this happen though, to this young boy and whatever. So I've seen a lot of people grabbing bricks and sofas and stuff like that and certainly barricade the street. But what was interesting for me was that most of the people there were mixed. It was a mixed group mm. and they were all there together. You know, they let the, although it was a, a bad thing, you know, were rioting, it's not, it's not a good thing. Did you riot as a youngster? I can't confirm or deny it. <laughs> but uh, I was there, I was certainly there uh, and I've seen it happening. I ran when I seen my father coming, when I seen him coming down the street because he must have got word of what was happening and the police were out, there were sofas burnt on the street, there was bottles and bricks and stuff like that being thrown and I think word got to my father and he automatically must have assumed, Jesus, our Sean's probably down around there, he's involved in this. So I seen his car coming down the street and I ran, thinking that I was getting away, ran down an alleyway and of course my dad obviously knew more than me, I didn't know that at that stage, he was waiting at the end of the alleyway, put me in the car and bring me back up the house. But that sort of always stuck with me because by looking at a sense of community and I know that's that's a negative action to be taken part on. The fact that it was a mixed crowd there is always something that unusually sort of stuck in, in my head because it was almost that they came out to defend something that was undefensible. You know, this young boy getting beat up and stuff like that and thrown back at the house and that issue alone was the thing that resonated amongst the whole community. We weren't rebelling for years of, of torment or anything like that. It was just this one incident that happened that for some reason the whole community felt that, no, do you know what, we all disagree with that. Were you aware, Sean, of the mix in the community? You mentioned both Catholic and Protestant mm-hmm. and ethnic minorities and, and travellers. Were you aware of that mix as you were growing up? Not so much when I was younger, probably because I, I just I, I didn't think on that on that level. No, I just thought as a child who was out to play football that day. No, I wasn't looking to see who was who to play football or, or even going down to play commandos. And like I went to a Catholic primary school. Did you go over Plunkett? Over Plunkett, which was the, the school next door to the parish and stuff. And Brian so Robin, the principal. That's there. right. But I always remember and and St. Uh, Plunkett that there, there was a lot of Protestants that came to our school as well, even though it was a Catholic school. So it's almost know, like an integrated school. In a, in in a, a weird way, it, it was. I and, and I don't know if a lot of it was because maybe there was you know about the, the displaced families and stuff and the decant housing and things like that. I don't know if a lot of it was because then moves that had to be made so were people being put on the Stratford and then it needed schooling and that's why it came about or whatever but Was Maidown Primary School open? Maidown Primary School was open but I remember Maidown Primary School was always a very very small school and could only house so many numbers of, of pupils and you had Maidown Housing Estate there as well too which would have probably got the first preference for that school but I remember in my class now it would have been predominantly Catholic because it was a Catholic maintained school but I remember in my class there was an, a, a couple of Protestants and things like that now which there was never any bother about. Was there special provision made for them, say, if you were being made ready for your first communion or confirmation? I don't remember ever seeing any segregation or any us going off to do one thing or people going off to do another thing. I don't, I, I don't remember. So if, if there was, I think the school must have dealt with very, very well so that it wouldn't impact on, on the relationships of the kids. When I left primary school, I went to uh, Oak Grove. I initially wanted to jump on the bandwagon with everybody else and go to St Mary's in Limavady was the school like if you went to Strathfoy you went to St Mary's Limavady 
My parents had told me, yep, you're going to St. Mary's Lama Valley, 100%. But what they had done is they had put me in the Grove and they hadn't sort of let on to me that I was going, and you know what, it was probably the best thing that, that they'd done. I think maybe in order to broaden my horizons and things to get that, my, my mom and father probably thought that it was a, a good thing. Oak Grove broaden your horizons? Oh, majorly. Big, Would you give us some detail on that? Well, I was never really an academic at school. I always sort of seen school as a, a social thing, where you went on and you met friends and you had a bit of fun and you did learn. No, but I, I sort of best learn with my hands or I best learn through experience, not by someone telling me mm-hmm. what to do. Like, but Oak Grove for me was, uh, it was hard. The first first couple of weeks was hard because I was from Strathfoyle. I was one of two, I think, from Strathfoyle that went to Oak Grove that year. Boy, I went along me, he was separated in a different class. No, so it was a max class from, from the get-go. No, you're put on the MX group. That was Broadway Horizons again. It wasn't just Protestants and Catholics. You're talking then Sikhs, Muslims, all sorts of, of different religions. The stigma from being from Strathfoyle followed me as well too. So you were getting your Strathfoyle this, your Strathfoyle that. No, there's just a, the, so there's a stigma around Strathfoyle? Well, it? more about the thing about the drugs. And you know, all years ago, you know, in Strathfoyle, it's not so bad now. But but back in the day, it was a mess. It was rife with drugs. It was so it was the, the sort of go-to point between the city and uh, Corrie and Portrush direction. So in Lama Valley. So a lot of drugs and all that came from Strathfoyle. So dealers based in... Oh, I'd say so. Uh, so what kind of names might you be called, you know, uh, if you're from Strathfoyle and you're at Oak Grove? There's derogatory names, you know, that they would call you. Strathfoyle Scum would be one of them. <laughs> More recent, I heard one, Strathfoyle Taliban, or you're from Strathganistan. People almost had this perception that Strath was like a, a Jesus, I wouldn't go out there. No, it's a, that's a no-go area. It's full of drugs. It's full of this, full of scumbags, full of things. But that was only because, like, and that wasn't the people of Strathfoyle. No, the people of Strathfoyle are pretty much, uh, I find them to be to be good people. Because Strathfoyle was a, a place with a lot of decant housing, and because of where it was placed within the, the, the city area, it was a place that if you were put out of one area in the town, the, the most likelihood of the best place that you could go would be, would be Strathfoyle. And that was the same for the city side as it was for the water side too. Like, you know, if you're put out of the water side, you're put to Strathfoyle. You're put out of the city side, you're put to Strathfoyle. Even as far as I've seen people from Korean and, and Lamavadi being put out and being put on the, the Strathfoyle. So that's where Strathfoyle got a lot of its, its negative stuff was because there were certain points down there you'd walk down the street and you wouldn't know people. You wouldn't know any, anybody. Because um, the population was changing? Constantly. Sure. Constantly changing. Strathfoyle's population has always been constantly changing. Even more recent with the, the influx of, of Polish workers and stuff like that coming on too. Foster Meats. Well, Foil Meats, that's right. Foil Meats. Part of the Foil Food Group. They brought on, well, they were one of the first way back at the start to bring on a, an influx of, of workers from Poland. And that was a big culture shock to the people of Strathfoyle, especially me. I think at that stage I was 14, maybe 13, 14. So early in this millennium? Uh, yep. Yeah. Uh, and when they came over, it was, it was grand. It, it was. It was unusual, it was strange. We, I suppose it was as strange for them as it was for us, you know, because there was never any sort of mediation done on this. There was never anybody came and sort of says, look, just to prepare you, uh, there's going to be a major change in your community. Now you're going to be taking in an influx of people from another country. Uh, this is what it might look like. Here's some supports we're going to put on. There was never anything like that. It was almost just put them to strap for and it'll be grand. So that's always happened to Strathfoyle. So I always like the fact that I'm, I'd be, I'd be very, very proud of Strathfoyle and being from there because I think one thing that Strathfoyle has got this resilience. You no, know, because it's always been there. It's always dealt through 
all them years we've always been the, if you want to call it, the, the, the dumping ground, you know, for, for a lot of our communities. When the police came to Strathfoyle initially, I know myself, I was pretty active as a young boy, running around and seeing myself as a wee bit of a leader with my muckers. And when they first came, they moved into the Butterfly House, it was one of the first families we met. There was all men at this point, there was no kids or women or anything. The men had come over first. Probably build up the money and send it back home. And I remember a house uh, with five men on it and the butterflies down the alleyways. And the alleyways would have been somewhere we always hung about anyway before the police came in. So when they came in and they had a drink on them, they came out the front and they started talking. Some young boys thinking they were big men tried to put it up against them and different things to get them. The police were like, geez, no. But the rest of me, my, my mates, we ended up going on talking to them. They had a wee computer. Was on somewhere they like a calculator, it was a wee tiny thing, but it was a translator. So, what they used to do was they would type their word out in, in Polish if they couldn't try and speak it to us and we couldn't hear it, they would type it out in Polish and they would show one of us and we would know them what they were on about. So, they came, no furniture, no whatever, and they were looking for a coffee table. So, that night we ran up the mugger of mine, Mickey's, up on the hill's grandas shed because he had furniture there that he was looking to dump for ages and there was a coffee table and a couple of bits and pieces there so he lifted it and brought it down and gave it to the, the Polish and their reward to us was a, a glass of vodka which we didn't turn down. It was like an exchange of, of goods, do you know what I mean? Because we could barely speak the same language. It was a wee way sort of too for us to, to welcome them in because they were nice. Uh, one of the fellows, I remember him showing me a picture of his house and in it was Poland. In Poland and him and, and his family and he was really emotional he was telling me about you no know, when he co when he's over here he, he earns so much money but the amount of money that he earns I think it was like something like ten percent of even that he actually keeps here they they love him and the rest was sent straight back to his family. A couple of years after that then they working away and stuff and in between times you had attacks tax happened you would have had one or two maybe Polish stragglers who had a drink issue or whatever and would stand at the spar shop probably looking to mix and mingle or to see what no, the couple drinks on them let's go out let's see what the crack is here is there any bars is there anything to get and I suppose we're in the area when you see something like that and, and somebody who's strange and doesn't speak the same language standing with alcohol on them calling kids and, and you know, saying hello and, and trying to hang that people almost get kind of who's your man who's this no so there was about a, a, a small amount of resistance put up against it, but that no, it was short-loved. One of the best things that ever happened in relation to the, the Polish being in Strathfoyle was that we were always playing football when we were younger. There was a lot of green areas in Strathfoyle, bar from the industry and all that side. And I remember on a Sunday, we used to go down to the football pitch and play. We went down one Sunday and the football pitch was taken over. By the Polish? By the Polish. I'd say maybe 13 or 14 Polish people, so all uh, men. Yeah. And something must have been their day off or whatever. We bought a bravado maybe about it too, but we went down and we sort of just want to play a game. The good thing was, and I, I can never remember the boy, and I've never met him before, there's a guy called Robert, I can't mind his second name, but he worked in Foil Meats, and I think his job was to sort of try and integrate the Polish in a wee bit, because he could speak the both languages. But he was there that day. Was he Polish or from here? From here. But right. I speak Pol I think they maybe sent him over as a representative at the start when they knew that this was going to happen and, and come on up. But he was able to communicate with us then. So he was saying, no bar lads, whatever. So many said, no, so it was grand. So we played for a couple of hours. There's no times, there's no half time or anything like that when we were playing. We were just down in the football pitch. 12 and half, 24 the winner. Well, uh, whatever, but until somebody gave up, yeah. you know, type, type thing. The next Sunday end, we were sort of looking forward to it. 
So we went down. We you never, you left out. Who won that match? I think the Polish bit us. We were all oh, young. So you couldn't say that there? No, had I he that didn't want to You pulled that out of me. I swear <laughs> I <remember>. <laughs> <laughs> we, we ended up uh, going down the next Sunday. We were sort of looking forward to it. And uh, I think we, we were in awe because there was a, a goalkeeper. The goalkeeper that the Polish crowd was, he'd actually played in the Bundesliga. Fully dressed in his Deodora boots, Deodora shorts, socks, everything. He actually scored a goal from the halfway line and nobody was raging at it. We were all like, kind of, whoa, <laughs> what did we just see here? And like, this guy was, and I think he was getting frustrated with a lot because some of the Polish guys that we knew were turning up full in colourful trousers and they were sliding all over the place. And <laughs> oh, the crack was was good. Like So that went on for, for weeks. It went on for maybe about six or seven weeks where every Sunday, there was never no Facebook or anything like that, no, too. And, Phones were like, geez, he, he sent a text message and turned the phone off so he wouldn't get charged doing it. No, so there was never no communication that way. It was just we knew that that was a time and a place to be there. Mm. After about six or seven weeks, then it, it, it sort of fell apart and it sort of drifted. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because some of them might have been on short-term working contracts. So they came over and they worked up so much money and they went back over or whatever. But I remember that being a, a good thing because it was, if, if you look at it in a way, and he wanted to put it under a weird sort of context. It was kind of like a turf war. Do you know what I mean? If you look at the, the football pitch, which was there in Strathfield for years, the locals come down to play on it, and they see this new tribe, if you want to say, on it, using it. Then the tribes are going to battle. They see who gets control of, of the ground then, and throughout the, the great friendships that were made, the fun and the, the frustrations and all, all the things that come along with playing football. Mm. You know, and the excitement. Excitement of playing older people. Playing older. This guy in the Bundesliga, do you know what I mean? Blowing yeah. us out of the water. We were like, jeez, no telling your friends in school and all about, about it. And Lovely story, Sean. And can I mm. take you back just for a minute to I, school? Or, that's right, because I sort of jumped off the track there and went no, for doing that too. We maybe <laughs> stitch this together. But, but in school, what I'm remembering of what you said was mm-hmm. there was... Uh, a stigma associated with yeah. Strathfoyle. There was also what I'm remembering is you wanted to go to St Mary's, but but you now find yourself at Oak Grove. Yeah. It's an integrated college. You're the only person from Strathfoyle mm-hmm. that you know is in a different class. Yeah. So you're the question I was asking was about broadening your horizons. So you're in this group which mm-hmm. is uh, from all sorts of backgrounds, mm-hmm. and you were saying for sure it broadened your horizons. But I'm wondering. Did you get bullied? Did you? Did oh, you know, definitely. It's, yeah? it's it's fight or flight. It's it's like a, it's like any situation that's going to challenge you. I think it, it's the fight or flight response is going to come on, and it could have been easy for me to run home to my parents that day and say, "Look, I'm not doing it. I'm not going. I refuse point blank. Send me to St Mary's or whatever." I probably did try that a couple of <laughs> a couple of times to be honest. Like, but uh, it was pretty much fight or flight. I think in the first week of school, I got suspended because I'd been taking that much abuse about the straw oil hanging. Did you react you know, to that? Initially, I tried to use my tongue and my mouth. I thought I was thinking I'd be quick water with me with my mouth to try and defend or, or fend off bullies and things again. After a while, then when I started to feel sort of threatened and cornered, there was just the times whenever you were waiting to go into class, there wasn't much supervision by adults or teachers and stuff. I remember one guy in particular was giving it. The, they had just they got the stage where I was standing in the line ready for my class, and some guys were just walking up in front of me. And just basically dismissing me, you no know, one pushing me to the back of the line type thing because of, of obviously where I was from, they were laughing, having jokes about it or whatever. I wouldn't have had the best of clothes, the best of shoes, and things like that because we didn't come from a, a wealthy background, like f- very much working class. 
I remember that day in particular, I was getting embarrassed then because it was in Mexico and there was gears at it too. You know, you're getting to that age where you're starting to become conscious of gears and gears becoming conscious of you and you maybe are trying to impress and do a bit of bravado or whatever. So I remember feeling really weak and embarrassed at one point, being pushed to the back of the line and this guy came up under me, hit me fist and squared up to me and headbutted him straight away. I got suspended for that. I had for two days, two days suspension for that. It was a yellow card. Not a red card? Aye, but there was incidents before that as well too where I had been, I'd give the fingers in class and I had told people to fuck up in class and things like that because of kicking my chair and doing wee, wee things that the teacher wouldn't see. First two or three months was, was a battle. Some of them I caused myself by being an idiot. I have to admit that. You had people from O'Grove Primary coming together to go to O'Grove Secondary. You had sort of, a lot of it was clusters and clumps of people. But after that initial fight and flight, then I sort of made my stance on it, that I was never a person who would go out and attack somebody or hurt somebody or bring harm to somebody, but I was that person that you would, I wouldn't let you harm me. Do you know, I would defend myself if I could. I would I would look at try and protect myself. The friends that I made then through Oak Grove were amazing. Like I could never, although we're not as close now because we're all probably at different angles in the world. I don't know what they're doing. They probably don't know what I'm doing. But at that time, we came together to sort of protect and look after each other throughout that, that school, uh, secondary school years, and where things do come a wee bit more difficult in, in your life when you're starting to become more aware of yourself and who you are, and self-esteem comes under it a bit more. You're no longer that nine or ten-year-old that's running around playing commandos in the fields, knowing not a care in the world, no responsibility starts to kick in. Questions about life, about where you're going to go, about what you want to do. Well, you're looking at history, you're looking at things, things are starting to become more prevalent and they're starting to come up to the table and they're, they're in front of your fist pretty much then. And it's about how you deal with those things. And I think it was easier for me to deal with those things in a wee group. And our group was a mixed group again. Mixed group as in male, female, uh, mixed nationality, well, mixed I, religion? I hung about with some females in school, a lot of them was trying to woo, do you know what I mean? But I, I hung about with we, we females. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Oh, like the old-fashioned word, Sean. <laughs> well, we I would use there. I was trying to be nice, oh. <laughs> but I was trying to they, they tackle them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but uh, and then there was the the fellas that I would have hung about. We were were from mixed ethnic backgrounds and stuff like that as well too. Like mm-hmm. I had those friends from the water side, city side, Catholic Protestant, uh, Sikh. One of my friends was actually a Sikh as well too. We never were sort of against each other. We never looked at the religion side of things. I think it was probably because we were in that format of an integrated school. Sometimes that it, it came up, but there was rules and there was boundaries set in place, you know, about wearing emblems and about doing different things like that. So that sort of kept the arguments or any sort of um, discomfort or disharmony for anybody. So, so Celtic top wouldn't mean no, no Celtic tops, no Rangers tops, Northern Ireland, Republic Ireland, whatever. Anything that would sort of cause. Uh, contention amongst the students and I think that was more so you could probably put that down to education through the fact that you know, there were kids that didn't understand the context of these emblems or what they represented or anything like that and a lot of the times things like that were always used as, as a, a way of scoring points you know so I think Grove uh, eradicated that you know, so that that wouldn't wouldn't happen I remember RE, but RE was something that, that still sticks in my head now to this day that I, I never got because it was so broad no, you were looking at Christianity, you were looking at Hinduism, you were looking at Buddhism. And I just, I, I couldn't grasp it. And maybe it was because there were so many different religions in the, in the one class trying to learn so many different religions at the same time. I felt that myself now that that was never going to happen. Sounds, Sean, somewhat like you had your own peace process at school. 
you, you described there the fight and flight mm-hmm. and then sticking it out for those three months and then mm-hmm. attracting uh, I mean part of a group a social group mm-hmm. that was very mixed in its background do you know what Oak Grove was a very very good school I enjoyed my time there I loved my time there I had some great laughs you know I met oh. some great friends This is an episode of the Howell Trust podcast or the Howell Trust testimony series where you can catch up for free on our SoundCloud and Apple podcast pages. Episodes including the Liam McCluskey testimony session. One night, I think it was 19 paratroopers killed in Narrow Water, when we heard the news and the hitch blocks, we all cheered. That night, I prayed for their souls and I thought, you can't be doing that. You can't cheer on one hand and pray for souls on the other hand. Uh, so it was all those contradictions going on. Then after much mental turmoil I decided to cut ties with republicanism and go the way of the spirit. The Hollywell Stew 2 special. The Arabic cafe serves fresh, healthy and affordable Arabic food. It's much more than a cafe. It's a unique meeting place that makes solidarity real. The grant, it'll make it possible for me to grow neighbourliness beyond the seven streets of my own neighbourhood where, where I live and work. So in the last seven years, we've helped and supported, built the confidence, self-esteem and resilience of 800 kinship carers and almost 750 children and young people. Even if we didn't get any funding for this tonight, that it would be plants a seed where all our organisations should come on board and we could just try and create something beautiful. And the testimony of Maureen Wilkinson. Because I thought of this week here, can deliver a baby without her partner, suffer the grief of loss, and her partner lost her home because she couldn't go back. Went back to school, got her nursing degree, and is now nursing. I thought, who am I sitting and wallowing in self pity? And I thought, no, I'm not doing this. And that's another way I wanted to get back into my drama. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Hollywell Trust, or go to Apple Podcasts again, search for Hollywell Trust. Just before we switched on the recorder, mm-hmm. you mentioned that your father was at St. Brecken's. That's right. At, during Bloody Sunday. Yep. Can I ask you what you would have heard from your parents' generation of the Troubles, or did you hear anything? Did they stay clear of it? Not a lot. Like, that's the thing about me. Me from Dublin. My father's from Derry. My father left Derry years ago and went down to Dublin to work. A couple of his friends. What was his work? He, he was a labourer for a long time in Dublin and then he got a job being in a tool and hair company and worked his way up through. I mean, I was a, 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 as still to this day a very hard worker. He's a grafter and he, he loves the idea of work. He believes everybody should be out working. He's just that type of old school generation, which I love. Like, worked his way up and he became the manager of the tool and hair company. And on a night out, he met me more, who at the time was a, a window dresser in Dublin City Centre. He worked in Arnott's. And then she worked in a bar called the Hogan Stand at nights. My dad seen her, knew she worked, found out she Did worked he woo her? Uh, big time. He wooed her, that's where I got it from. He uh, <laughs> he seen her working in the, and knew she worked in a bar in the Hogan Stand, so he went down there and wooed her, tackled her, and ended up meeting her, and then they moved back up to Derry. So a lot of my dad's teenage years and things like that, and all, I, he has never spoke about it. He doesn't speak a whole lot about it. The only reason I know that he was in St. Bregan's is because you know, we had went there, me and my father had went there, and my own son now, this was like a generational thing, had went to the Bloody Sunday in the, in the Guild Hall to, when, when David Cameron came out and, and apologised and stuff on behalf of the British government and stuff like that. So we were there for that day when the truth came out, which was a, a, a amazing day of a picture. So what motivated 
you to go with your dad and your own son to that day yeah because of the the sense of of being from Derry also when I honestly when I was younger it was I was from Stratford no I, I brought that baggage of Stratford to Grove so I, I my horizons brought in from Stratford to as far as Grantia. yeah so then I had Stratford Oak Grove then as I got older and I moved under the town a wee bit that stage then I had met Claire no me beautiful fiance from Cregan uh, and I had also started the work uh, on here and in, in, in extern so how long are you in extern now five years five years in extern so uh sort of started to feel a sense that no it wasn't about you know, where I was from Stratford, Chantalic, Yelia, the waterside it was more about being you know, the fact that I was from this city I was from Derry and that was something that, that I was never a part of and I'll probably never understand or try and understand how people that were there that day felt but it was something that I was always very interested in because I don't know it was just any time it was spoke about or any time I had anything to do with it I always got this sort of it was like a ghostly feeling over over myself that I, I felt this and I, I was always massive even when I was younger about injustices great about injustices like big fan of, of Che Guevara Fidel Castro, a lot of them different uh, leaders and stuff I would read. Nelson Mandela? Mandela again, loads of people that I would read up on and stuff like that and there was a great quote that Claire, whenever we first met our first Christmas together, she done me up a canvas with Che Guevara on it and she wrote out a quote by hand and if you tremble indignation at every injustice then you're a comrade of mine. So that was something that resonated through me because I can't help but feel something inside me whenever I see an, an injustice and Bloody Sunday was one of them things for me, although I didn't understand it and the mechanisms of what happened that day, you know, I felt the, the, the longing and the need they want to know a bit more about it, you know, so that was a, a big thing for me because it was a big injustice. I wanted to be a part of it, I wanted to be there with me dad that day, I wanted to be there with my son that day. That was June 2010, I think, mm -hmm. maybe 2011, I can't remember clearly. What was it like? So the big screen is there, Cameron comes on. I remember the the, the best thing before Cameron or anybody got there, but on it was, uh, I think the families and the people inside the guild hall putting the thumbs out the window. I think that was, I'll probably never witness anything like that again in my life. Like That was just, uh, they see all those thousands of people in the guild hall all there to support those people, they know the people who have been through that and they see the thumbs coming out the, the wee wonders and the, and the things they got was like that sense of being a part of something so big was like jeez I don't I still even think to this day that I'll not grasp it probably maybe 20 years down the line of how momentous that, that day actually was you know and Were you emotional Sean? Very emotional at, at that Were you day. cheerful or? Oh, of course the whole thing leading up to it you know the singing the songs and the, and the march and the way up and all and for me, uh, with that that sense of community, you know, of coming together and singing songs and being there for a, a common purpose and things like that, for me was uh, was amazing. You know, I was so glad that I could be a part of. It. I imagine your dad would have been emotional as well. Ah, he, he was, but he <laughs> probably years of practice. He's very good at hiding it, you know. So he was, but I have that picture in the house, and it's always a great picture to look back on of the three of us sitting there. Uh, that day, you can see the walls in the backdrop in the background, so it's easy to tell where, sunny day. where it was a beautiful day. I remember yeah. I was wearing a white t-shirt, my, my dad was wearing his dairy Gaelic top, so you know, it was a lovely day. I want to ask you something about Strathfoyle as you were moving through your teens. Maybe you got involved with Dicey, the wonderful Mr. Mm -hmm. Eamon O'Donnell, mm -hmm. and then you moved towards youth work. 
mm. and and are, as you say, been involved with Exeter now five years. Could you say something about? And it's clear to me, mm-hmm. like I have a great love of Craigan, and I think what I'm picking up for you, you have a great love of your place. Definitely. Uh, but there you were as a teenager. Was Dicey a key influence? In Dicey was a, a major. I always say that th- there's two sort of male adults in my life. One is my father. He's always been there for me. I love him to bits. But second to him would be Dicey. I'm an O'Donnell and I always hold Dicey in the highest regard. Another O'Donnell? Another O'Donnell. Tribal O'Donnell. Which is a strange how, how that, that came about. But uh, uh, Dicey is... Dicey's they say holds a special place in, in my heart and always will be the rest of my days. Like I would have got a very hard time whenever I was younger. It affected me bad with mental health and stuff. Even though I didn't know, know now mental health is the, is the word, but back then it, it, there was no word for it. It was just sort of you were down in the dumps, you were feeling low, you had bad thoughts and things like that and all. But, um, bad thoughts about yourself? Or about about angry myself, thoughts? Angry thoughts, lonely thoughts, no, the, the sort of stuff that most people who get bullied uh, will come up against. You no, know, Leaving the club 20 minutes early to try and get home so they can't get you. Uh, having your mommy having to go outside the school to get you, you know, where everybody else is able to just walk home. But as I got older and coming into my teens, I started experimenting with uh, drugs and different drink and different things. And, uh, find myself falling into groups and gangs and places that I just shouldn't be, you know, where young people shouldn't be. A lot of that was because of what we were subjecting in Strathwell. Like, there was never a play park in Strathwell. There was a youth club there. The youth club was, was, was decent, it was good, you know, it done what it was, was there to do. But there was never any inspiration coming out of Strathwell at that point. And this is what I, I love about Strathwell is you had your football matches with the Polish. You had all them things that were constantly going on. You had this really strong sense of community and a really good community, but nothing being put on it. Personally, I think that that's because there was no political gain for people. So because it wasn't predominantly an area of thing, at that point there was no real sort of alliance or green parties or anything that was coming to you, or you had your two major parties and that, and that was it. Strathfoyle was like, no, it's, what's the point probably, what are we going to gain out of here, no, are we going to get votes, what's the, I don't know, whatever their agenda was, but Strathfoyle was left to one side for, for years. The young people coming up in Strathfoyle, unless you had means or access or, or money, then you, you could probably go out of Strathfoyle to do your extracurricular activities and head into the town to do band practice or things like that. If you didn't, then your nights were spent standing at the spar shop. And not the youth club? Not not so much the youth club because if you stepped out of line in the youth club you were barred. So for people who were maybe a bit difficult or maybe a bit challenged, places like that weren't ideal because uh, you couldn't be yourself. Do you know what I mean? You had to abide by rules and boundaries and you're a teenager so you're at that rebellious sort of age anyway. You're becoming more aware of where you're from, you know, your country, where you're from. You're starting to realise about what's going on around you in the bigger picture. You're starting to see the different paths and the different avenues that are opening up. And you're lost in a weird way. So the first person that puts her hand out to you, you're going to take it. And initially at that point, it was uh, just that lifestyle of, of being from Australia, being around circles with drugs, being around drink, you no know, standing yeah. at the spar shop, the police coming up and searching you. you know. I always remember the amount of randomers would come to the shop boys jumping out of taxis at all hours of the night can you get this can you get that and the amount of young boys I remember young boys 13 going up there by and saying no bar give me your money took the money off him 30 quid or something around the corner bought maybe say a tenner's worth 
type of stuff and had his own wee stash of baking soda sitting and flour and things like that. Mix that on the bag so it looks like thirty pounds worth. Gives it to your man. Was you so talking cocaine here? Speed. Speed at the time, right? my speed coke wasn't wasn't well prevalent back then, it was more sort of speed. These guys but were coming around their fists anyway and drunk enough so they didn't know what they were taking. So young people profit and left, right and centre off it. So you know, the fact that you were maybe thirteen, fourteen and you could have forty or fifty cold in your pocket. You know, it was also an R incentive to why would I stop this? Do you know what I mean? I'm 14 years of age and I could have enough money to buy us all fags here or whatever. It was then at 15, 16, and we had been in and out of different troubles and sticky situations and things like that, in relation to the, the drugs and, and the, the fighting that came along with and the money problems that came along with. No, and we were 16, we were sitting in a house, as we did most nights, we sat in the house, maybe 20 of us. No, talking about groups of about gangs. In someone's house or a vacant house? Someone's house. Namely, it would probably be an, an older, an older person. No, no, not a, a. I mean, like an older youth. So somebody probably in their twenties. Yeah. Who was able to get access to housing when they got a house? It was like right bang, happy days. One of us has got a house. Somebody had says to me in the street, "Did you see that madman walking around with a the big hat, the top hat on, and the long coat?" I says, "No, he on about." He says, there's a boy standing up at the bus stop singing, and he's got a big hat on him and a big crampy coat. I says, Jesus, now I must go and see this boy. So me and Cheesy, my best mate, the two of us headed up the street looking about, and sure as God, we seen this boy standing at the bus stop with a big top hat on, singing. Because I was pretty brazen, the lad went up and says, what's a crack? He says, what do you call you, you know? He says, oh, I'm Dicey. Nice to meet you. He says, what do you call you? And I says, I'm Odom. And that was the first time that me and Dicey met. Was at a bus stop in Stratford. We had him dressed as an undertaker, <laughs> which was weird. The next day we were in the same house, and a knock came at the door, and and walked Dicey. And I have visions that it was something like this, but it was probably something different. That he went, you, 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 come with me. So we were like, okay, right, and got up and went out. And he brought us down to the wee community house. I think at the time we had only a wee tiny, like a back bedroom up the stairs on it, with phones. And there was no real, who are you, what do you do, and then like that. He says, he asked one is to flick a kettle. He asked another one of us to answer the phone. No wee people ringing. Oh, hello, Strathfoyle. At that time it was Strathfoyle uh, Youth Group or Youth Forum. Then he started asking us stuff. What we're interested in, we told him, oh, he's a banana boat, you know, to try and throw the maddest things at him. And he says, right, well, let's look at what that might look like if we wanted to do that. And he sat down and he started planning. And before we knew it, we were doing a lot of things ourselves, but they were positive things. It was almost subconsciously that we were doing it. Maybe he knew that it was always on us and we were just putting all our efforts and they saw him that was negative. And he thought that here is a group of people who could have a really good impact on things if only they were given the right tools and the right guidance. So he had a belief in you and Cheesy and the rest? I do, I strongly believe that Dicey had a a big belief in us as young. I think Dicey as a person has has belief in a lot of young people. I think most young people he comes across on, he believes in and he works hard on and he he definitely done that with us. One of the big things that Dicey done with us was empowerment. He taught us to become empowered, he taught us to the importance of choices and consequences and know that we were basically wasting our lives away with what we were doing. No something in them flats, I could be still something here now, twenty eight, no 
sitting on a flat to get with no job and no no things to get and I, I don't wish that on, on, on anybody but I'm glad that they see had came and, and chose Strathfoyle, they could have chose anywhere else but they chose Strathfoyle. There must have been something in you, Sean, that was willing and open to respond because you know from your work in Extern mm-hmm. there are young people who will not respond no, because definitely. Th- their life has been so sore on them. I think again it goes back to that fight or flight, I think it goes back to that you're either here for the long haul or else go and that's that go hard or go home, do you know what I mean, There's no, you're either going to do it or you're not. And I think Dicey you know, showed us that as well, because we put it up against them. Though it wasn't, a, it was never an easy ride for Dicey. Dicey got a lot of flack off us. Though know, when we went away in residentials, we would have tried to sneak drinking things along with us, and he was up against it. He had to respectfully challenge us. He, we fell out with him. We became friends again. We fell out. We became friends. And it was pretty much a to and fro relationship for a long time, until we actually realised and it actually stuck. Something went down. Who he was. And what he was there to do. What is that, um, Sean? What would you say when you say who he was and what he was there to do? I think he is, uh, in a way, someone who opens your eyes. There's been countless people, youth workers and different things that have been out there. And I always find that, that there's people that's on it for the money. And there's people that's on it for the, the reason. There's people that's on it for the destiny. There's people that's enough for the passion, and it's those people who like encourage us to change. It's not the people who's enough for the money. The people who's enough for the money, they'll make their money and they'll go home. You know, they'll not really have much of a tie in it. But people like Dicey, he's always remained true to himself. He's always been the same person. He's never went for all the mod cons or anything. He got no. I think we identified very quickly from Strathfoyle, you no know, being from where we were from, the type of person he was, knowing what he was. Going to it was weird. I, mean, I still struggle to try and get my head around it because I can't, I can't grasp how somebody would want to do it. And I think maybe that's why I'm an extern and what I'm doing now. There's a deeper meaning to it. There's a deeper meaning for me now, since Stacey and the stuff that he's done and the stuff that he's put me on to. Plus two, the fact that one of the things Stacey put me on to was Bosnia, and I ended up going to Bosnia for for two weeks. I done a course over there on that social empowerment and non-conflict resolution. Where I met people from Israel and Palestine and all all countries that were involved in, in, in conflicts, Macedonia, everywhere. And because we were on the former Yugoslavia, though there was a lot of the stuff there, conflict was 10 years ago, or it was 10 years before I had been there. A lot of the stuff there was pretty rife. Learning through our people's conflicts and being involved in the stories of our people's conflicts helped me a while lot. In a way, look at my own problems that sometimes were pretty small and pretty stupid, and I spent the world on them. It made me come back here and go, you know what, there's uh, something worth fighting for. There's definitely, there's, there's a reason that you have to get up and you have to go at it. I don't know that yet. I could probably die not knowing that. But all I can do is try and try and make an effort. And hopefully, like people like Dicey and, and different people out there in the community that are, are constantly trying their best to better each other. No, I think it, it's important that the, those people still have the strength to get up and, and keep going on and keep trying to do what they're doing, regardless of what political uh, state that the country's on there or whatever. I think community is always going to be the number one thing. You know, it doesn't matter who you're voting for or who's going to be taking the mic next week or, or ten years down the line they stand up and do their, their their speeches and their preaching. I think as long as you've got a good community that looks after each other. Regardless of backgrounds or anything like that, I think that's that's the one. Or like, and I think maybe Dicey's seen that. 
Maybe he's seen that in Strathfoyle, he's seen him excommunity, he's seen a place that had been left to one side for a long time, they rot. It was one of the taglines in the straplines was unlocking potential. That was Dicey's first strapline when he came to Strathfoyle and I'll always remember it because I had done his logo for him and it was on Microsoft Paint <laughs> and it was a, a padlock being opened, which was strange. Do you feel like in your life journey that includes Dicey but also includes Oak Grove and includes your daddy Seamus and include, must include your mother, yeah, must include Claire. It's it's a I, that you've been opening a padlock. A hundred percent. I I think that it's it's important that you all that you look at every aspect of life and that it's important that when whenever, you no, know, I look at the bullying and I look at the sad and the low points in my life and I have to think about it. That is that I could see myself as a victim. I could put myself in that in that. No, I, could, I could let myself feel de defeated but I think the hard thing to do is for me to say do you know what that was a lesson that was there they, they challenged me that was there they put it up against me as is everything as is every day when you come out and you're faced with a problem or, or a challenge they're there they, they challenge you and I, and I believe that although at the time I could sit down and cry or get upset about it I think that in hindsight which is a great thing it makes you stronger. It always makes you stronger. If you can use it as a lesson and you can put it on the educating yourself and making yourself more knowledgeable about, about things, then it's all, always a good thing in a way because it makes you a stronger person. And I think through meeting Dicey and through me far and me and me more knowing their upbringing of me and trying to keep me sort of open-minded about things and then through with, with extern and the opportunities that extern has provided no, and the young people that I come across on a daily day basis with me groups and different things they, they change my life every day I like to think that I'm changing their life but every day is a school day no, and, and I like the, I like that idea of we're all learning off each other How, how do they change your life Sean? The, the, the young people you meet through extern? They challenge me all the time and one of the big challenges for me is is trying to get, trying to influence change or, or trying to impact a bit of change on a young person's life. I always like to look at it that if a young person comes out with me, I always set one small clear goal that when a young person comes out with me, they're in a better place than they were whenever they leave. And that could be anything from I made them laugh. Do you know what I mean? I made them smile. Uh, I got them something nice. They had a new experience. They had something. As long as I'm putting them on this something better, then it's an improvement. So you, you would know. you would take a group of give me an example of of a, a a piece of work you might do with young people on a given day. A lot of the young people I come across, I mean, would, would be you're, you're sort of dealing with ongoing issues. So you're you're always going to have things like bullying. You're going to have things like uh, isolation with young people. A lot of the stuff coming up now to do with is internet safety and a lot of vulnerable young people who, who, who can leave themselves open to a lot of things. What I, I try to do whenever I'm out with them is, is give them strength and try and get, and get them to understand things a wee bit more by talking to them about it. One of the best things that I, that I can provide for young persons is a listening ear because a lot of young people are, are, are told the way things are supposed to be, the way, like, like as I was whenever I was younger. But I think that if you provide a listening ear for young people and you do that sort of motivational interviewing techniques and things like that, that Young people, they can make the choices. Young people aren't stupid, and people need to know that. Like, you know, if anything, they're they're new. They know their new brains. They they probably know more than than I do about computers and different things. So, I think people need to be aware of that. That that, that we don't know everything. They know that that maybe young people do at some point know, know more than than us. 
not in relation obviously to keeping them safe and things and we we have a, a requirement and a responsibility to do that i think giving them their space listening to them getting them to come up with their own ideas and their own take on things sounds like the dicey model aye in a way because it is it's refreshing it's empowering and what happens then is that i'm not doing the things for the young people because if i'm doing it for them then i'm not teaching them anything they're not taking anything away they need to be doing the things for themselves with my guidance and my support and they need to be doing the things for themselves because that's the only way you're going to empower somebody is by not doing things for them Sean, thanks very much. That was very honest, uh, very open. Thank you very much. And I also need to thank our funders, the Central Good Relations Fund, the Reconciliation Fund of the Department of Foreign Affairs, Derry and Strabane District Council, and the Community Relations Council. Thank you all, and most especially, thank you, Sean. Until the next time, cheerio from Eamon Baker. You can stay up to date with us on our social media pages on Facebook, look for the Hollywell Trust, and on Twitter, it's at Hollywell Tea.